Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. That's what we're looking at tonight. That was just a beautiful time of worship, by the way, too. Just love singing his praises and love encountering his Holy Spirit. You know, that's why we gather, is to get into the Word and get into worship and, 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 and encounter the Lord and get everything we can out of coming together in fellowship. So tonight we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So let's read the passage, and then I'll give some introductory remarks as we're continuing our eight-week study on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16, the scripture says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemings. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So tonight, we're looking at the works of the Holy Spirit. If you just a quick recap, week one, what did we talk about? We talked about the personality of the Holy Spirit, how he works, who he is. We talked about the doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We talked about the deity of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, but one God. Week two, we talked about his work in the world. Week three, last week, we talked about 15 ways the Holy Spirit operates or can operate in the life of the believer. And I finished last week's message with showing you this chart on gifts and callings of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And tonight, we're going to cover Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at what the Bible says about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So that's what we're studying tonight. Those are offices, ministries within the local church that the Holy Spirit equips, calls people, places people into these ministries for the equipping of the saints. We're going to spend probably 90% of tonight on verse 11 and about 10% on the other five verses. So we're really going to dive in deep because I want to dive into what the scripture says about these, uh, these uh, gifts, these offices that the Holy Spirit places within the church. But I want to remind you what Chuck Smith said in, on page 96 of Living Waters. And he says this, the overarching principle concerning the gifts of the Spirit is this, the true gifts of the Holy Spirit when manifested in a scriptural and correct way will always focus people's hearts on Christ Jesus. How do you know the Holy Spirit's at work? When people are being pointed to the Savior, when hearts are being directed towards the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate purpose of church. That's the ultimate purpose of ministry. That's the evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in the church. 
that the Lord Jesus Christ is being exalted. And through the gifts of the Spirit, well, the gifts being of the Spirit, they're going to do the same thing the Holy Spirit does, which is point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's dive in tonight to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And let's, look, let's talk about these different gifts. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. So the first gift we see here, this first office, is the apostle. The Greek word is apostolos. It means one sent forth. That's what that word means. It means messenger, one who is sent forward. How many people in the New Testament, all right, question for you guys. How many people in the New Testament are given the title apostle? Don't, you don't have to answer. Most people, when you ask that in a church, they'll say, oh, it's the 12, 12 apostles of the Lamb. They'll say, how many apostles are there? How many people are named apostles? People will say 12. Well, actually, there's more than 12 named in the New Testament. There's actually 24 different people named apostles in the New Testament. Now, what I've done, what I've done for our teaching session is to I put them in three different categories. There are three different categories of apostles in the New Testament. Three different ways the word apostle is used. So let's look at those. And I'm going to present to you uh, 24 people in the New Testament that were called apostles. The number one person, surprisingly, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the apostle. I like to say apostle, capital A, capital P, capital O, capital S, capital T, capital L, capital E. He is the apostle. According to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Hebrews 3, 1 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, what? The apostle. The apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, why is Jesus called an apostle? Simple. He was sent forth by the Father. It's that simple. Because that's what that word means. One sent forth. That's why the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the one sent forth. Now, don't misunderstand me. Jesus is the apostle, okay? It's like saying he is the pastor. He is the teacher. He is the evangelist. He was, he's not like a believer gifted. But I wanted to show that to you in Scripture from the book of Hebrews that the, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, himself was given the title of apostle. Why? Because he was sent by the Father. The very first missionary in this world was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He came from heaven to earth to show us the way for salvation. He came from heaven to earth to die on the cross and make a way for us to be forgiven. He came to earth to reveal to us, to unveil to us exactly who God is. And that was his mission. And might I say, he did an outstanding job through the, through the authority and inspiration of his word to reveal to all people. When you're reading the pages of the New Testament and the scriptures and you're learning about Jesus, it is God teaching you, bringing you face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of us studying the scriptures is so that we can know him more, we can love him more, and we can trust him more. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the apostle. Now, the next category of apostles, this is apostles with a capital A, 
Okay, keep that in mind because there are apostles with a lowercase a I'm going to talk about in a minute. But the second category is apostles with a capital A. And this comes from Matthew chapter 10, verses 2 and 4, where Matthew says, Now the name of the twelve apostles are these. The first was Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. So here you have the 12 apostles, I like to say, with a capital A. Now we know from um, Acts chapter 1 that Matthias replaced Judas, but this is the 12 apostles. What was their purpose? To establish the church. They were, they, they were the, the foundation of the New Testament. These were the 12 men that the Lord Jesus Christ discipled, brought alongside him for three and a half years to minister and to establish the church because Christ knew he was going to be leaving. So he had to establish it through these 12 men. Revelation chapter 21, verse 14, which we're studying Revelation on Sunday morning. We'll be there in a couple of months or probably a little bit longer than that, but we'll be there sometime this year when we get to Revelation 21. But Revelation 21, 14 says, the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So these are the 12 apostles. But the New Testament takes it a step further and, and addresses other men as apostles. And what we need to understand is, is Jesus, our, high, our apostle and high priest, was sent by the Father. The 12 disciples were sent by Jesus. And then there were apostles in the New Testament that were sent by the church. They were sent by the church. And I call these apostles with a lowercase a. These, we would call these missionaries. We would call these ministries that are sent out from the local church, even in the first century. Uh, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, James is called an apostle. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are called an apostle. In Acts chapter 14, verse 14, Apollos is called an apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. Timothy and Silvanus are called apostles in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. Epaphroditus is called an apostle in Philippians 2.25. There are two unnamed men in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23, where they're called an apostle. And then there's Andronicus and Junia in Romans chapter 16, verse 7. That are called apostles. Why are they called apostles? Because, because that word apostle, think about the, the definition of the word. They were sent out, not from the Lord Jesus Christ, but they were sent out from the local church. Okay? You know, in our world today, when people start talking about the apostles, people want to say, you know, well, there's 12 apostles, only 12 apostles. Well, I understand what they're saying, that those are apostles with a capital A, and that office is, is, is over. There's nobody that has their level of authority. But we do have today what we call missionaries. And missionaries are people that are sent out. What that Greek word apostolos means, once sent forth, we have them that lead the church that go out from the church today and do ministry in foreign land and in inner city and other places. And what we've done, which I think is a good thing, is we don't call them apostles. We call them missionaries. 
So it's very important to understand that. that um, that's the three ways apostles are used in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit, what we need to understand when you think about apostles, just remember that word, one that is sent forth. And what, what you need to understand is the Holy Spirit is still in the ministry of sending missionaries in the world today. Why? To evangelize, to start new churches, and to spread the gospel. That is their ultimate job, to go out and establish ministries. That, that, and they're supported by the local church. Let's look at the next one. The next one in um, Ephesians um, 4.11. He says, in some as prophets. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. We're going to talk about prophets in the New Testament. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. And there's several examples in the New Testament, but I just want to, we'll talk about a couple of them, but this is one of them. Acts chapter 19 Let's look at verses 1 through 7. And this is the Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey. But Acts chapter 19, uh, verse 1 says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism, Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about 12 men. So here you have Paul going to the church at Ephesus, and laying hands on these men, and they received the gift of tongues, and they received the gift of prophecy. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter 18, you will learn that these men were presented with the gospel from Apollos. Look back at Acts chapter 18, verse 24. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. And what does it say there? He was mighty in Scripture. So we know that these men that had this gift and received this gift from Paul being laying hands on them, they heard the gospel as it was presented by Apollos, and they believed. And it, to, it goes on down in verse 28, talking about Apollos' authority and testimony and preaching the gospel, that it says in verse 28, it says, and he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures, that Jesus was the Christ. And I go back to Apollos just to establish the fact that these men that, that Paul was ministering to in Acts chapter 19, they had heard the gospel and they had believed. Okay, They didn't have a full understanding. They didn't have all the information, but they knew the foundations of the, of the gospel. These believers were saved under Apollos' preaching. And what we see here in verse 19, we see two things taking place as it relates to gifts of the Spirit and prophesying, is that a special gift from the Holy Spirit can come after salvation. Now, when a person gets saved, God could give, them, give it to them all at once. 
I, I wouldn't deny that. And, and I believe that happens a lot of times. But there's a lot of times, I, I, I know of a lot of believers who come to Christ and this later on in their life through prayer, through fasting, through seeking the Lord, through the laying on of hands, what we say here, that they receive another impartation, another gift. Not a gift to build themselves up, but a gift to build the body of Christ up. So these guys here, uh, they, uh, Paul lays hands on them and, and, and they, they speak in tongues and they prophesy. And, and another thing too we want to point out here in this, this gifting that's taking place in Acts chapter 19 is this. The Holy Spirit can gift someone supernaturally. He doesn't need our help. But at the same time, it can come through the laying on of hands. Because that's what happened with these men. They, they, they're, they're, there was an anointing. There was a prayer. There was, there was an impartation of ministry there. And they received this gift of tongues and prophesying. Okay? Now, um, I'll, I'll have this one up on the screen for you. Acts chapter 11 Verse 27 through 28, what we're specifically looking at, we're looking at, you know, are there prophets in the New Testament? Is the gift of prophecy exercised in the New Testament? Because a lot of times when we think of prophets, what do we think of? We think of the Old Testament guys. We think of Jeremiah and Daniel and Obadiah and all those guys. But we're looking at them in the New Testament. But Acts chapter 11, verse 27 to 28, it says, Now at that time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them's name was Agabus. He stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would, would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. I like how Luke adds that very end of it. He says, and this took place, by the way, during the reign of Claudius. In other words, it was confirmed that this truly happened. Just because somebody says they have a word from the Lord or just because somebody says they have the gift of prophecy doesn't necessarily mean you listen to them, okay? We have to weigh everything. We have to examine everything. You know, we have to ask, is it biblical? Is it solid? Does it line up? But what do we see here? Agabus prophesying. Because this has nothing to do with the doctrines of Christianity. This has nothing to do with the theology of the word, okay? But what, what is he prophesying? He's, he's prophesying about um, a famine over the whole world. It appears to me that the message of the New Testament prophets relate to current events, to current events. It could, it, it could pertain to something happening around us or in the world. It could be a prophetic warning of pending danger or a special blessing of coming revival. When it comes to the New Testament prophets, we need to understand that there will ever, let me repeat that, this is very important. When it comes to New Testament prophets, we need to understand this. There will never, ever, 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 ever be any new doctrine or theology. Okay? The word is final. The New Testament prophet only reinforces what is written in the word. Okay? There's no new information. There's no new theology. If all we had was the Bible, we have everything. But we see this gift of prophecy in the book of Acts, in the New Testament. But it's never new theology. It's never new doctrine. It's about events. 
You know, somebody, one believer can be given a dream, be given a vision of another believer, a, a situation they're facing with their family or their friends or something, and they have this impression from the Lord, and they go and share that. You know, and it's, it's something about what's going on in their life. So that's what we see, that, that's at least what I see in the New Testament when it comes to the gift of prophecy. And we're going to talk about this more in a couple of weeks when we get over into Corinthians and Paul describes the gift of prophecy. We're going to talk about it a little bit tonight. I'm going to touch on it a little bit more, but we'll dive even deeper in a couple of weeks. But the next Bible verse I want to take you to is Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verse 32. And we're talking, we're, and what I want you thinking about is prophecy, is that prophetic gift that, that this, this being used. What does it look like in the Bible? What does it look like in the New Testament? Because it's very important that we have a biblical view, a scriptural view of what the Bible says on this subject. So the next one comes from Acts 15, 32. It says, Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. So what was their prophetic word? Well, it, it wasn't new doctrine. It wasn't new theology. It wasn't a pending warning. It was what? Encouragement and strengthened. You know, that gift of prophecy, that prophetic gift can be exercised in the New Testament to encourage someone, to push them forward, to help them in life, to comfort them, to strengthen them. You know, you may see a brother or sister struggling, and if someone has that gift of, that prophetic gift, they can go to them, and the words that they speak, words of encouragement and comfort, can help that brother, can help that sister in Christ. You know, um, I, I believe in our Christian walk that different gifts can operate at different times. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you can, you can stand in, 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 the, in the place of an evangelist with a, a heavy emphasis on evangelism, and then a year later, you're walking in a prophetic gift where you're encouraging and strengthening people with the word. You're speaking into their life, and their hearts are open. And by the way, what we see in Acts 15.32 with Judas and Silas is almost exactly how Paul describes the gift of prophecy in Corinthians, which brings me to my next verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 3. You know, when people think prophecy, unfortunately, and, and they're not grounded in the word, they think that people are creating new doctrine or new theology, which is not true. They think, they, they think it's something that's far out there. But look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 3. He says, but the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. That, my friend, is the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. That is the gift that the prophet brings, the New Testament prophet brings to the body of Christ. The first one there is uh, he brings edification. What does that word edification mean? Thank you. That's what I, exactly whoever just said that. Thank you. That's what I got right here. Building up. That's the gift of prophecy. It is building brothers and sisters up in Christ. It's, it's, it's making that foundation solid. You know, as a believer, uh, is the, the word establishes us 
It makes us firm in our walk, but then another brother or sister comes along with the gift of prophecy, and they build us up. They challenge us. They move us forward. The second word there in 1 Corinthians 14.3 is exhortation. What is exhortation? That's direction in life. That's direction in life. Or it could be warning. It could be warning. You know, uh, an exhortation is when a, a godly brother or godly sister speaks to another brother or sister and gives them direction in life. Hey, listen, bud, I've been seeing this going on in your life, and I see this gift, and I see you're you're really strong in this area, and you're really strong in this area. Have you ever thought about this ministry? That could be a prophetic gift. That that could be an exhortation, giving someone direction in life. And at the same time, you see a brother or sister um, making poor decisions, going down the wrong path, and the Holy Spirit burdens you and gives you a prophetic word to warn them. That's the prophetic gift. That's the prophetic gift. That's what we see with Agabus back in Acts chapter 11, and here in Acts chapter 15, and back in Acts chapter 15 with Judas and Silas. And the third one there in 1 Corinthians 14, talking about the gift of prophecy, is consolation. What's consolation? Consolation is comfort and encouragement. When you're beat down and you're tired and you feel like you can't go no more and nobody knows but God. And God gives someone with that prophetic gift to come alongside you according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, chapter 14 verse 3, comes alongside you for consolation, for comfort and encouragement. Again, Again, I can't emphasize this enough, and you're going to hear this each week as we go through all the gifts in Corinthians, Romans, and Ephesians, is they're all meant to point the believer to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're all meant to point him to him. Another important point, very important principle um, when it comes to when you hear New Testament and you hear prophets and you hear prophecy is you need to understand this. The message of the prophets in the New Testament does not carry the same weight of the Bible, okay? Nothing supersedes the Bible. Everything is judged and evaluated by the word. The scriptures, the holy scriptures, drive the train. They drive the train in the church. They, they, they rule and Everything. They are the final authoritative word in anything, anything that is said or prophesied that does not align with Scripture, it needs to be flushed down the toilet. Okay? So the word is, 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 is supreme. But still, we have New Testament prophets who edify men, exhort men, and bring consolation according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. And family, just to be honest with you, man, we need that more than ever today. Our, our, our mental well-being is at an all-time low in our culture right now. Even in the church, even in the church, our brains are beat down by social media. Our hearts and brains are beat down by social media, by the news, 
and everything that we see going on through social media and the news is wearing us out. And what we need more than anything is people that are filled with the Holy Spirit walking in these gifts to build us up and to point us to the Savior and to be spending time in the Word. You know, I just, we just got a brand new TV a couple months ago, this big TV, so I could watch football games and enjoy. But I have found in our home, the more that TV is cut off, the more peace of mind I have. <laughs> the more peace of mind I have. And the more time I spend in the word and the more time I spend worshiping my Lord and Savior and having fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the more I regain control of what's going on in my mind and heart. But brothers and sisters, I love it when I get texts from you guys and I get emails and I get words of encouragement. I thank you from the bottom of my heart and I don't take them lightly. Sometimes you guys text me, call me, encourage me. And I believe it's just a prophetic gift from the Holy Spirit that he placed it on your heart and you sent me a word of encouragement. I try to do the same thing, but let's be thankful for those things. So we have there some as prophets, this prophetic gift of um, edification, exhortation, and consolation. Let's look at the next one. The next one in uh, Ephesians 4.11, talking about gifts to the body. What does he say? And some as evangelists. Some as evangelists. So what he's saying here is there's people in the church that have the special gift of evangelism. But wait a minute, Pastor David. I thought we're all supposed to evangelize. Yes, we are. We're all called to reach out, okay? The word, it is written. Matthew chapter four, verse 19. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. God has told us, every single Christian through the word, go and preach the gospel and, and reach out to the lost. And that is our job. So what is, what is Paul talking about here in, in Ephesians? In Ephesians here, what he's talking about is people with a special gifting that they are consumed and they are in the church to push the body forward in its evangelism endeavors. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight, I wanna show you one example of, this, of a person with this gift of evangelism that I believe is being described here in Ephesians. Acts chapter eight, let's start at verse 26. Acts chapter eight, verse 26. It says, but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up. Go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The Enoch answered Philip and said, 
Please tell me of whom does this prophet say this is, of himself or of someone else? Then here it is. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the scriptures, he preached Jesus to him. So here we have the evangelist Philip reaching out to this guy. And where did he begin? He began with the scriptures. He began to explain with him from the scriptures who the Lord Jesus Christ was. And let's continue, verse 36. And they went along the road. They came to some water. And the Enoch said, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the Enoch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the Enoch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. And here's the thing I want to grab your attention. You know, Philip could be rejoicing in this moment. Man, I just want him to Christ. Praise the Lord. How awesome is this? You know how it is as a Christian? When you share the gospel with someone, if they reject it, it breaks your heart. But if they accept it, it makes you joyful. It makes you exciting. But look at the next verse. Look at what Philip does in verse 40. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Why? Because he had the gift of evangelism. He was a special gifting from the Lord. He wasn't the only evangelist. All the Christians were to evangelize, but it ate him up like a passion. Just like Ray Comfort with Living Waters. He goes around the world, traveling to churches, sharing the message of hell's best kept secret, putting a special emphasis on evangelism. Every church needs this evangelist, this person, this telling the body, go, come with me. Let's go to five points. Let's go hand out some gospel tracts. Let's go feed some people in the, in, the, in the local shelter. Let's go out and reach out. But that's the gift of an evangelist. Uh, this is a believer with a gift, a special calling, one, to proclaim the gospel with passion. And secondly, he encourages others. He's that Christian in the church when you see him, you're like, you, you kind of feel guilty because <laughs> you, you know you're not doing your job in reaching out. We need one of those. We need that, 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 that gift operating in our church. Every church needs it. It's that, it's that thrust for evangelism. That's why we're here. Uh, I think it was Mark Cahill said, um, you know, there's one thing you, you will not be able to do in heaven. There's a lot of things you will be able to do in heaven, but there's one thing that you will not be able to do in heaven once you get there that you can do here on earth. And guess what that is? Witness. When we get to heaven, so, so as Ray Comfort would say, go share your faith while you still have time because one day you won't have another opportunity when you're in glory with him. And I, and I, I personally believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to be so floored. It's going to be so awesome. It's going to be so amazing. And we're going to, that, that, that might be one of our regrets in heaven. It's, why didn't I share Christ more? This is so amazing. The streets of gold, the glory of heaven. So let's do that, family. Let's do that. But this is a special gifting within the body. This is that evangelist that thrusts. Let's look at the final one. 
The final one, he says, and some as pastors and teachers. Some, some theologians separate these two, pastors and teachers, but I put them together because when you look at Ephesians 4.11 as a whole, he, he puts the phrase on the very beginning, some as, some as, some as. And so it's some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists. And then there's only one some as, some as pastors and teachers. Um, so many people will see that as the role... And that's how I see it too, is that is the role of of the pastor and teacher. These are men who are called to shepherd, lead, and teach in the church. Uh, The Greek word for pastor is poimion. How many times is the word pastor used in the scriptures? The word pastor, but once right here. This is the only place in the New Testament where the word pastor is used. But that Greek word pomean is used 17 times in the New Testament. The uh, Once it's, it's, it's interpreted, it's, it's translated as pastor, the other places, it's, it's the word shepherd is used. So the word shepherd and pastor are the exact same word in the Greek. So um, in the New Testament, when the scriptures were written, a shepherd had a tough job. He had a very tough job. It was a very rough job. He took care of animals. He took care of animals. He led them, he fed them, and he took care of them, and he guarded them from dangerous animals. So when you think about first century Palestine, you think about the shepherds out there in the fields taking care of the animals. They were pastors. They were pomeans. They were shepherds. And when we get to the New Testament, and this word is used in our text, a pastor is simply that. He is a shepherd. And and that is a calling, that is a gift by the Holy Spirit to the body of Christ. Every church should have a pastor or pastors within the body to minister. This is a work, this isn't something we created, okay? This is the way the Holy Spirit set up the church. This is the way he set up ministry. So um, a full description of, of a pastor's job, you know, we, pastors, we can't just do it the way we want to do it. It's, it's not our ideas or our plans. We're given a job description, and that job description is found in what we call the pastoral epistles. God's given us three of them. If you want to understand the duty and job of a pastor, just go read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Everything, you know, I, I, that's what I love about Christianity. I, I'm a simple-minded person, and when the Lord called me to be a pastor, I just go to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, and he gives me my instructions, and I don't have to create this stuff on my own. And, he's, and, and so, so what does a pastor do? Number one, according to the pastoral epistles, a pastor, a shepherd in the New Testament, he leads by example. He leads by example. He doesn't tell the people to do something that he's not already doing. He sets the standard. He, he gives them an example to follow. This comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, where it says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, and love, and faith, and purity, show yourself as an example of those who believe. So the pastor in the church should be an example in speech, the way he talks, in his conduct, in the way he lives, in his love. You know, pastors need to love their people. They need to love their people. 
with the love of Christ. They need to be walking in faith and trusting in the Lord themselves. And, you know, for their salvation and for their walk, you know what I'm saying? My relationship with Christ is is not on your shoulders or not on my wife's shoulders or, or my parents' shoulders. It's my faith and my God. So we have to, pastors have to have their own faith. Purity, you know, we're called to set the standard and example for holiness and purity in our life. We, we, we are called to flee from sin and be an example of, of, of the people that we shepherd and walking in holiness and walking in purity and being an example. Another one, a pastor, shepherd, a poimian, he teaches the word. That's one of the main responsibilities according to the New Testament. That comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, where the, it says, preach the word, be ready, in season, out of season, Repuve, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instructions. Man, it's, it's, this is what the, the pulpit is in, in teaching the word, okay? Not giving you my ideas or my philosophies or how to live your best life now or, 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 or whatever, just, but, but theology and scripture and the word and application from the text. You know, there's, there's two things um, I learned from Steve Lawson. He's a great reformed preacher. And he says, there's three things you do in preaching. And I, I try my hardest to follow those in my teaching because there can be a lot of pressure placed on pastors to have that one-liner that just lights people up or just impresses people or makes people say, wow, did you hear that? I, I don't follow that principle. I follow his principle, which he says this. He says, uh, read it. Explain it, apply it. Read it, explain it, apply it. That's my philosophy of teaching at Calvary Chapel. It's just to get up here, read it, explain what is being said, and then bring it to 2022 and apply it to our life. And that's hard sometimes. That's very hard and very challenging. But the more I get into the Word, and the more I understand it, the more I can apply those principles and be faithful to 2 Timothy 4.2, which is to preach the word in season. And we, we reprove with it. We rebuke with it. We exhort with it. I encourage you with it. I bring correction with it. Uh, and I do it with great patience and instructions. Another thing that the Ponia does is he guards the body. A pastor's job is to guard the body. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 30 says, this is, this is Paul on the beach with the Ephesian elders. He's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. If you go back and read it in Acts chapter 20, it's a very tearful moment. Peter, uh, Paul is, is, is uh, shedding his heart. He, and he, he says to them, uh, to the elders there, be on guard for yourselves, for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. So again, just like that poinia in the first century is out there on the plains, guarding the sheep, from the wolves that are out there, on the, out there on the edge wanting to come in, so does a pastor. A pastor's job is to see his flock, know their temperature, 
and know what's out there. And if anything comes into our fellowship that's not right, that's not biblical, it's his job to guard the flock and protect them from false doctrine and bad teaching. Number, the, number four, he prays for the body. A pastor prays for the body. This comes from Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. It says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And may I say, man, that's my prayer for you guys. Can I just say that prayer? Lord Jesus, for all the believers that are here, Lord, let them be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want to see you guys grow. I want to see you guys grow and be solid in your walk and be solid in life so that you can face all the challenges. So if, so that's it. That's, that's the, the gifts of the Spirit from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Excuse me. Yeah, verse 11. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16 uh, is a description of ministry within the local church. And we've seen these, these offices here. Now, Ephesians chapter four, verses 12 through 16, which we just kind of read through a while ago, these give us the purpose. They give us the purpose of the apostles, missionaries, if you want to call them, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And let's close in reading this passage of the purpose of those ministries we just studied. Look at verse 12 of Ephesians four. It says, for the equipping of the saints for the works of service and building up the body of Christ. Again, it's to equip you guys. You know, whenever a, a, a military member gets ready to deploy, they go through a thing called CIF, Central Issue Facility. And they go through that CIF process, and what they do, the military gives them everything they need for the battle, all their gear, all their equipment. And that's what the church is. We are to equip the saints. We are to give you the tools you need for the works of service so you can go out there and serve the Lord. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I'm not going to prolong on that verse, but we, what we talked about the gifts, they point you to Christ. They point you to the Lord Jesus. How spiritual are you? How much do you love Christ? How much, how much do you trust him? How much is he in your life? That's the measure of true spirituality. Verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by every wave and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful schemings. There's a lot of crazy teaching out there. And there's, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff on the left and right. And that was one of the things that, that when I came to Calvary Chapel in... 2006, 2007, I just fell in love with the teaching because I know that they were going to stick with the word and they weren't going to go out there into weird, unbiblical, untheological teaching. You know, what does the word say? Chuck Smith, you know, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so that we're not tossed to and fro, you know. We're not thrown around in our spiritual journey, but we're established on the rock. Verse 15 and 16, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, 
from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up its building up of itself in love that is what the holy spirit wants to do in every fellowship in every body is to equip them for service amen Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this study tonight from Ephesians chapter 4, Lord. And Father, just uh, thank you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to open your word. And Father, I pray, Lord, that, that we'll be good Bereans, we'll be good stewards, and Father, that you'll work mightily <clears throat> in our body. Father, through through those who are sent forth as missionaries, through people with prophetic gifts, through people that love evangelism, through the pastors, through the teachers, through the elders, through the deacons, through all of us, Lord. Let us honor and glorify you. And Lord, help us to understand your word and truth and help us to apply these principles to our life. Help us to guard our body, pray for our body. Help us leaders to teach the word. Help us to be examples. And let us glorify you and honor you in everything we say and do. Lord, we've, we've, we've opened your word. We've studied it. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that this word that we've studied tonight will take deep root in our heart, in each and every one of us, and it'll help us grow in our love and devotion and commitment to you. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.